You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna and this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. And today I have a really special guest with me. Jasmine Romero was my co-writer on the podcast Princess of South Beach, which we will be talking about at length today. Um, she's also the head of development at Sonoro, which is a Latino-focused podcasting company. But before that, she worked at Gimlet and Endeavor Audio, and she's just a podcast genius. Uh, and she's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, and today we want to talk about storytelling and podcasting. Jasmine, oh my God, welcome. Hello, baby. I'm so excited to be here. Also, I, I would not call myself a podcast genius. I do very much like podcasts, but I, I still feel like I'm in the learning phase. I'm still um, absorbing all of the podcast wisdom. But I do feel that you're someone that's had, in, in the few years you've been on this earth, a long career in the world of podcasts. I feel like you almost dove in right when podcasts were exploding. Yeah. For sure. And I've worn like every different hat that there is in the world of podcasts. So I started out at Gimlet as like the babiest of baby producers, like cutting the tape and cutting out ums and putting the whole thing together um, and was there, became a producer, started lead producing shows, editing, writing, doing every different job in podcasting. So I've definitely like had my hands in the in the weeds, so to speak. But you came to New York to be an actor. I did. And you're actually on Sesame Street, which not a lot of people know. My husband, Daniel, was like, wait, she's on Sesame Street? So you you always wanted to be in storytelling, but you were a performer first. And then podcasting sort of became a viable like way to tell stories, or did it just accidentally happen? Well, I think like my entire career has really been defined by you know, my relationship with Latinidad, because I think as an actor, and, and you've felt this also, you know, you go out there and you never see the roles that are right for you as a person, right? It's always like the sexy Latina or like the maid or whatever. Uh, I was really focused on musical theater and particularly in musical theater, there's like three roles that are for Latinas. There's like West Side Story, there's In the Heights, and, and there's a couple of like roles that are sprinkled throughout. But um unless you're like a really, really strong dancer, like, or unless the casting director is like looking to cast ethnic, um, there's not a whole lot out there for you. And so I think both in acting and then now in podcasting, my focus has always been on like, how do I get more roles for Latinos, both like 
in front of the camera and behind the camera, in front of the mic and behind the mic. And so now I'm working for Sonoro, which is this company that's like solely focused on that. And I feel like it's really given me a sense of purpose and the kind of work that I really want to be doing because I just want to like make more stuff for the next me that's out there and wants to see themselves in the world. Wait, so tell me, and I and I sound like a, a white guy called Brad asking someone quote unquote ethnic where they're really from, <laughs> but what is your background? What is your Latinidad? Uh, you know, it's really funny. When I was bartending in between gigs, guys would come up and be like, oh, you're so ethnic looking. Where are you from? Which <laughs> Jasmine, no one's ever said that to me. Are you really? The, the bartender at the bar I was at yesterday was like, are you... I'm going to take a guess here. <laughs> Irish? And I was like, <laughs> no, absolutely not. And he's like, you have to have some Irish in you. And I'm like, I literally have a 23 in me. Not 1% Irish. Not he's a like, drop. There's, there's no way. And I'm like, no, I'm from Venezuela. And he started laughing. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, what, what type of ethnic are you, Jess? <laughs> well, my my whole family, for as long as, as we know... Uh, is from El Salvador. And I was the first person born in the U.S. All of my sisters, I have three older sisters, they were all born in El Salvador. El Salvador. So for you, you got here. You're like, I want to be an actor. I want to be on Broadway. Oh my God. I feel like this is really almost impossible. Um, I want to be a storyteller. Okay, let's do this audio thing. And now I, you know, as I've sort of been doing hyphenated and listening to other podcasts in Spanish, I've noticed that podcasts for the Latino community and in, and in Latin America, it's sort of like a few steps behind. I remember I was doing the cover of Hola Magazine, which was with a bunch of other podcasters, and the makeup artists were like, what is a podcast? Where do I buy it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, wait, ¿cómo no van a saber? But there is this lag right now, I feel. Do you do you see that? 100%. And it's crazy because when I got into podcasting, I felt like I was getting into it late. And with the Latino podcast and Spanish podcast, like it really is. We're right at the beginning. And, you know, I, I one of the biggest problems for Latinos getting into podcasts is that they don't think that there are podcasts for them. And I completely recognize that feeling because that's how I got into podcasting is I, you know, like, Six years ago or whatever, when I when I first got into podcasting, I had never listened to a podcast before. Never. I just assumed it was like Joe Rogan and This American Life and that's all there is. Honestly, that sounds pretty accurate for like the first 10 years I listened to podcasts. And I was like, I'm not interested. That's not for me. Literally Ira Glass and freaking Joe Rogan, which is like, Joe Rogan, get out of here. Absolutely not. If I want to hear white men yelling at each other, I'll just open the Wall Street Journal and like be done with it. <laughs> And so, I, you know, I had always dismissed it as this, like, art form that didn't have anything to do with me. And I grew up in South Central L.A. So I, you know, like, in the 90s, grew up listening to hip-hop. And I was on Spotify one day, and I got a push notification for this show called Mogul, uh, which is a show about this hip-hop mogul, this this manager, who, in at the peak of his career in his 40s, commits suicide. And mm -hmm. the podcast is trying to figure out, like, what happened in his life to get him there. And it had all these interviews with, like, people in hip hop and I just immediately gravitated towards those voices because they were authentic and I recognized them and they sounded like people that I grew up with and I was like oh my god maybe this is a different kind of storytelling for me to get into and so that's when I started working at Gimlet and I completely fell in love with the art form but the entire time I've worked in podcasting it's always like okay but where are the Latino stories where are the, the stories for us and the pool is super limited I mean in the U.S. 
you've got uh, Futuro Media, which is run by Mariana Hosa, which is very similar in style to like This American Life. Um, Radio Ambulante, which is similar also, and but does that in Spanish. Uh, I mean, the, the pool of, we all know each other. All the Latino podcasters know each other because there's like 10 of us. And so yeah. I'm just really focused on like what's next for us. So how we met, I think, is very interesting because we met in a casting room where you were basically helping the director cast her short film. But I forget that that's how we met because it is so different than what we ended up doing. You know, we were in a room where you were ostensibly basically a casting director and I was an actor. And what we ended up becoming was friends through writing. Friends? (laughs) (laughs) But our friendship really blossomed through work because... Right as the pandemic was beginning, you called me and you were like, Joanna, I want to write an audio telenovela. And immediately I was like, that is a brilliant idea. But I had this hesitation because I felt that telenovelas represented a different type of of Latino that wasn't me anymore. Like I thought telenovelas were my grandma's generation, basically. And even though I watched a few growing up, it was always a point of me feeling very insecure about my Latinidad because I just never liked them. And I just felt that that meant that I wasn't really (laughs) Latina. And I also felt that in Caracas, as a kid, the only way basically for me to get into the entertainment industry was basically through telenovelas. Like that was it. That was the art form that was being created there. Therefore, in order to be in entertainment, that's what I had to do. So when you asked me that, I was like, oh, my God, are we going? <laughs> I thought we had circumvented this. I thought we had <laughs> I thought we had avoided the whole telenovela thing. But it felt very empowering because when you told me, uh, let's write this, it was like, wait, we get to write it. That means we change all of the tropes or make fun of the tropes. That means that we can bring storytelling, that type of storytelling, into our generation. And I think that was the funnest part of writing Princess of South Beach during a pandemic while we were miles apart, um, writing these characters, making fun of the stereotypes, pointing to the tropes was sort of like taking ownership of something I had previously felt um, contentious over. Yeah, I mean, I think I was really inspired by stuff like Knives Out, which takes this very classic formula of the detective murder mystery and does something new with it and makes it modern. The last thing I wanted to do was to make the same telenovela that we've seen a million times. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the point. The point is to take this art form that we really love, I really love, that I grew up watching, and fix a lot of the traditional problems that you've seen with it, right? Like, you look at the telenovelas that we grew up watching, they were super fun. The reason why they're really engaging is because it's like, it's melodrama and the stakes are so high and the characters are crazy. But it's also like, the character, the male characters are super machista. Uh, there's mm-hmm. never LGBTQ representation. There's never Afro Latino representation. The females are always like, "Oh, someone help me! Someone save me!" And like, I, the maid is always like, "There's always a maid," and it's this throwaway character, and her entire purpose is just to like, you know, have chisme go back and forth. And I, I just, I wanted to take all of those tropes and do something fun and interesting and different with them, and like pay homage to this art form that I love, but also fix a lot of the problems that I saw with it. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. The other thing that's interesting about telenovelas is like, everybody loves telenovelas. Americans love telenovelas. They just don't know that that's what they're watching. You look at yeah. Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl's a telenovela. Like, whether or not you know it, you're watching a telenovela. The NFL. Grey's Anatomy, right? Grey's Did Anatomy. Did you just say the NFL? Yes, honey. The NFL. The Wait. drama between these players. No. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Es una telenovela. Don't even football? start. American football? American football. Oh, also wrestling? Oh, WWE? That, that, yes. Straight Eso up. sí. Sí. Eso sí te lo doy. WWE is testosterone telenovela. That's probably why I don't love it. And I'm, it's because of all the testosterone. But the telenovela aspect, I do appreciate <laughs> the drama, the like, the characters, the playing up. I always feel that telenovelas is sort of like this amping up of, of the realities of life to a point of it being saturated it's like saturating relationships and drama and violence and <laughs> it's life but like way more intense but that's why it's such a great escape because like how bad can my problems be if ruby's husband just fell down the stairs and her mother just had a heart attack and she's gonna lose the inheritance and all of this just happened in one episode it's like everything that could possibly happen to a human being happens all at the same time in a telenovela And so it really helps you, like, forget about what's going on in your life. It was really challenging, to be honest with you, Jasmine, to write this because as a writer and as a comedic writer, usually the stories I have written or the sketches I've written are very contained, right? So I'll write a sketch about uh, the Venezuelan birthday song being too long. That is great. That's one concept. You hit the concept a few times in a short period of time, and then you're out. Or you write a pilot. Okay, you follow one character that is going to be kind of your main character, and there ha there's a beginning, middle, and end, and then you sort of wrap up. Writing this telenovela was freaking just, it was so challenging to keep every storyline in check. Yeah. I started thinking, like, how did these writers do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? With... Like hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Because we did 38 episodes? 36. It's 36 <clears throat> in each language. So the episodes are done in English and in Spanish and released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's going to be 36 total, but technically 72. Oh, my God. God bless oh me. Oh, my God. God bless you. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think we were in, like, episode 30. And I was just, like, I was, I was, I remember writing it. And I remember I was in it. By, by episode 30, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. What's going to happen to Estrella? I forget, <laughs> I forget it was up to us. <laughs> like, oh, well, well we got to figure it out. That's why we're meeting. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but I think that was really challenging, is, was changing that 
sort of that gear shift where you have to be holding all of these sort of narrative points in the air at the same time you're juggling them. But simultaneously, you want the characters to be believable in, in the unbelievableness of a telenovela. Yeah, you, you still have to motivate their choices. We both knew where we wanted all the characters to go and to end up. And it was, how do we get them to that place? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was really challenging, especially across so many episodes. So like to have enough things happen to them along the way so that the journey doesn't get boring. But also it's so many intersecting things. Like if we changed one little thing about one character, it would change everything for the next eight episodes for all the other characters. Yeah, man. That was a lot. It was rough. I can't even keep my sock drawer organized. And I don't know how my brain was able to follow your brain and keeping all of these storylines in check. But I think another um, challenge that I really appreciated writing Una Telenovela was that we started out writing it in Spanish. And then we switched gears and we wrote it in English. And then we wrote it in both. (laughs) And I realized how different it is to write in the two languages. I think that nothing has distilled the differences in writing in English versus in Spanish than this experience because it was taking not verbatim, but almost verbatim from one language to another. Um, And some episodes started out in Spanish and others in English. And what I noticed, and I don't know if you agree with me, is for the Spanish, it felt so much easier to sort of fall into the tone of a telenovela, right? The the drama, the melodrama. And in English, it was so much easier to to have the the irony and the sarcasm and sort of the the self-awareness that it was a telenovela. In other words, one was very much like the the original telenovela sort of spirit and the other one was like the postmodern pointing to the ironies and 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 the the tropes that we like making fun of and i think what we were trying to do was create a telenovela that was that was self-aware um but listening to both it's like the of course the language of origin right of the telenovela is going to sound more like a telenovela but the other one i i I've never heard an una telenovela in English. Maybe Jane the Virgin is is one, but it's harder to to fall into uh fall into it completely when it's in English. I feel like my brain goes like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. What am I listening to?" Like I think it it feels like a completely different genre that I haven't heard of before. Yeah, I think what was tricky about this is that we were writing a comedy and telenovelas are not normally comedies like very few can I think of that are taking the storyline seriously but are also a comedy and I think when you translate the the words of a Spanish telenovela into English it sounds redonkulous <laughs> like the dialogue sounds so insane because um, the melodrama is just so heightened and like in English we don't have that that style that it just doesn't exist in media and so I think as we were writing it we were really careful to keep the comedic tone in mind and also to try and write dialogue in English that sounded natural and believable that people would speak um but naturally just because of the way that that the telenovela is structured I think some of the lines like come off a little um a little more sarcastic or or ironic or I guess like in that comedic tone of like making fun of itself and being self-aware um 
And it's one of the things that I told you as we were writing it. I was like, I think people in Spanish that listen to the show in Spanish will understand it because we have this shared language of telenovelas. And I think English audiences are not going to be used to this style. But I think once they understand what's going on, they're going to be hooked. And I think that's what we've seen so far. We're only a third of the way through. And so far, people are really just loving the show, which has been really exciting to see. There's some weird fan fiction out there. There is some hilariously filthy fan fiction that I can neither endorse nor uh, condemn. I, you know, do you? <laughs> but I'm excited. The, the fans are so excited that they're writing filthy fan fiction. But what I love about a lot of the fan fiction I'm reading is that it's it's not about the archetypal heteronormative relationship. A lot of people are really attaching themselves to the LGBTQ plus relationships. And those are the ones that are resonating resonating with people and i think yeah. it's because we haven't seen that very often in latin american or latino media when bueno, we have casa la flores and, and there's more and more coming out that that are and are tackling it and i think it's in in great part because people of our generation and are are now in the writers rooms <laughs> and show running and all of this but i remember we were we were a little scared um i was a little scared to do it justice in the way that we wanted to um, because we didn't want to just put in characters that were not just straight, beautiful women <laughs> and men. We wanted to show the variety of people in Latinidad. And I think that making it a podcast makes it easier. So we were able to cast both in English and in Spanish a really diverse cast of people even within the same family they don't have to look alike right gina torres is an afro latina woman and her daughter is rachel zegler and like maybe if i saw that somewhere i'd be like i don't know if i believe it but when you hear it it doesn't matter and i feel like it's opened up this the the ability to just cast based off talent creating the diversity we wanted was so easy and seamless to do it you like to watch new stuff right well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Ex Mayo, who plays Estrella, is, is Mexican. And she's a black woman. And she said to us, like, she had never gotten to do a role where she was Latina before. No one ever thinks of her that way. And Gina Torres said almost the exact same thing. And she's been in this business for over 20 years, I think. And and Gina never gets to play Cuban. You know what I mean? She said she's gone into casting rooms and the casting director has said to her like, oh, you, uh, you know, this is how a Cuban would talk. And she's like, actually, I don't think so because I'm Cuban. And <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. But it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. I, I feel very self-conscious 
about my Latinidad at times. I think people are surprised to hear that because so much of my career has hinged on me very much embracing my identity and creating content for people with my identity or that are interested in understanding my, my identity. And I think we all feel this bizarre um, inseguridad yeah. um, around Latinidad because it's such an amorphous concept. And I was, I was scared many a time to write uh, stories that I felt were uh, Latino because I felt like maybe I wasn't the right person to do it. And fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that noise. I think all of us represent something. And you and I have completely different experiences with our, our identity. Like, I've never been to El Salvador. I have never been. Um, I'm sure it's gorgeous. Uh, you grew up in West Coast and also Texas. Uh, your Spanish is spectacular. I don't know how. Um, Thank you so much. And you walk around the world with people assuming that you're something, right? Like you're not fully here. You're not fully maybe American. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, My parents came to the U.S., in the 80s, leaving the civil war that was happening in El Salvador. I've been back to El Salvador many, many, many times. Um, and I, I think for me, there's no way for me to walk through the world without people knowing where my family is from. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot hide my Latinidad. But even with that, even with wearing it on my skin and on my face, like, there's always this feeling of, like, I grew up in, in, in L.A. and I remember being in elementary school and the kids making fun of me because my Spanish wasn't good enough. You know what mm. I mean? Because I had an accent when I would speak Spanish. And so I would come home and and feel ashamed about it. And my mom would be like, no, your Spanish is fine. You are 100% Latina. Like, do not ever let anybody make you feel less. And But it's, it's definitely a challenge growing up in the United States because you're neither from here nor from there. You know what I mean? You're not... Uh, you're not American enough to be American and you're not Latina enough to be Latina. And I think, like we gravitate so much to these pieces of media that feel, make us feel represented. I remember watching Selena and seeing her say like, me siento muy excited. And I was like, yes, that's me. That's how I feel. I remember being in high school and meeting Latinos that were like into metal. And I was like, is that a thing that Latinos do? And it's like, <laughs> yes, we're allowed to like whatever we like. And I think like media puts us into this bucket of like, oh, you all like mariachi, right? Like, oh, you're Latino. You want a piñata at your birthday. And it's like, Which, no, like, we that might be true. I, I do want a piñata. I had a piñata at my wedding, but that's not I the always... <laughs> But that's why we're making what we're making, right? Mm -hmm. Is because we need to have the breadth of everything that we are represented. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not Anita in West Side Story. I'm nerdy and dorky and I'm like way more Zoe Deschanel than I am anything else. But I've never seen that kind of Latina represented. And I think you and I are both working towards trying to to create more roles for other women like us so that we can have the full breadth of what we are in the media. You know, I, when we were writing Princess of South Beach, I remember we were writing an episode and we forgot to check in with one of our male characters. And I realized that we were spending so much time on the female characters and we didn't set out. We didn't say the female characters are going to be the strong ones and then the weaker <laughs> ones are going to be the... We never, we never said... We just wrote a story and characters we liked and resonated with. And what happened? The females in this story are so lit. 
They drive the story 100%. They're complicated. They can be mean. They can be sweet. They're torn up inside about something. And I just, I felt bad at one point because I'm like, oh my God, we're not, we forgot about the men a little bit. We got to go back. We got to go back. And like, because, you know, I think we got so excited. I got so excited because I, I I was like, oh my God, I'd love to receive this script and, and dig my teeth into this as a performer. And so many times as a female, that's not necessarily the case in a lot of the scripts that I receive and a lot of the sides I receive. And having writers that represent different points of view is so important because it, it was so unintentional to write strong female characters. It wasn't intentional. It was just what came out of us as women and Latina women and as performers, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference between having 98% of the scripts in Hollywood written by white men and having, you know, different perspectives on the other side of the table that are that are shepherding these projects, right? It's like if you have never experienced life in any other shoes, you know what I mean? Like it's it's so hard to have authentic and and real people on the page if all of the people that are writing it have had the exact same experience in life. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a um, a monologue later in the show in an episode that hasn't come out yet about one of the characters being bi. And it's something that I wrote from the bottom of my heart because it's an experience that I have. And it's, a, a you know, like about this, like, erasure that this character feels. And that is, I know a lot of people in the queer community that feel that that way. And I think if I didn't have that experience, I don't think that I could write that authentically. Do you know what I mean? From a place that that feels honest and truthful. And the other thing is like when even at, at the executive level, when every time I've worked in a company and, and the entire executive board of the company is all white men, it's like it's really hard to make diversity not only of skin tones, but of perspectives a priority when it's not something that's coming from inside of you where you don't feel the need for it from yourself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because we wrote this together and it was very easy because although we have a very different experience with Latinidad, we share uh, that duality and that, you know, biculturalism um, very strongly. But, you know, in my writer's room where I'm at now, I'm really thankful that my showrunner was like, yeah, let's let's bring on, let's have this be half Latino. Let's have this be a half Latino a writer's room. And it's really remarkable how we get pitches for stories from the Latino writers that just that we would we would just not have received from the other ones. And the other writers are remarkable. They're great. They're brilliant. But there's some really interesting storylines that I wouldn't have thought of that really represent the culture in a way that doesn't feel forced, that doesn't feel like, and in this episode, there's going to be a large sombrero because it represents <laughs> culture. No, it was like, it's like personal, intimate stories. And, and even writing a cartoon, <laughs> which I am doing right now, the best stories are the ones that are linked to real life, or at least the emotion is linked to something you felt. The easiest story I wrote on that show is about an abuela that I based off my grandma. Um, and actually, Jenny voices. And it's bizarre, it's, it's wacky, but it's an abuela that I hadn't seen before. Because it's an abuela that is literally my grandmother. And it represents Latino culture in a way that feels real, because it's real, even though it's a freaking cartoon. And I think we brought a lot of ourselves writing this telenovela, even though 
it's it's crazy it's wacky it's about twins um there's so many uh, storylines that are wouldn't happen to us in real life you know the the characters and relationships and the love interests like all of that is based on stuff we've felt that is the joy of this show is i've never seen a telenovela where one of the characters goes to therapy never that is not a thing that latinos do you know what i mean i I had not even realized that i had not realized that when have you ever seen that never and this character is talking about issues with her self-esteem and her self-image and like it's all these conversations with where, where this woman is dealing with like very real issues and obviously it's a comedy and so it you know it's ridiculous but never have you seen that represented in a telenovela never have you seen the maid be the lead of the story one of the two leads of the story whose whose internal issues are driving the plot forward never have you seen an lgbtq romance between two men in a way that is complicated and not to like you know pat myself on the back too much but damn pat pat like this show is dope i love this show (laughs) we did a really good job with it and we took this thing that we love and peppered it with our own personal stories and people that we uh uh, characters that we based off of people in our lives and like i'm i'm just really proud of it i think people i think that's why people are so um excited about it is because we they've just never seen themselves represented in this way with an art form that we all love with characters that they recognize you know what i mean well, Jasmine, I'm so glad you were able to join me on hyphenated as a very hyphenated lady yourself. Why don't we, why don't we, this is where, this is what we call a plug. We want the listeners of hyphenated <laughs> to take a listen. If you enjoyed our conversation to take a listen to the princess of South beach. Yes. It, the princess of South beach is available wherever you get your podcasts. The English language cast stars Rachel Zegler, who's going to be in the new West side story um Raul Esparza from Law and Order SVU, Danny Pino who was just in Dear Evan Hansen and is on Mayans, uh Gina Torres who's a legend and a goddess, Ex Mayo, like the cast is stacked, they are hilarious. In Spanish you've got Cheryl Rubio who's in Casa Las Flores, uh, R- Richie Oferil, uh, Erika de la Vega. I mean these casts are insane. Please check out the show. We made it with a lot of love. I am so excited for more of the show to start coming out because I think the characters are getting more and more interesting as it goes along. We're only a third of the way through and we've already had such a positive response. And, you know, we did this as a love letter to the Latino community and, and, you know, check it out. Yeah. And it almost killed me and Jasmine. So please take a listen. <laughs> it almost killed us. It was it over almost 100 us. pages of scripts in each language. So please check it out simply for my sanity. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. 
Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.